Blog Talk Radio. Go back and 
respected, son Kofa. If honey ain't know honey dear from, honey ain't quite know honey the grind. So that's why we going to go back up for honey children understand what is going on your other day. But rather was, we going back up first for honey to understand what is your month about. Because I didn't meet up with a plenty of people who still ain't first know say March, the woman month told her. So we will make sure he understand what we to do for this year program. We will crack a deep boat. What this thing is. Because a lot of people don't yet about Black History Month, but then still ain't getting nothing tall, tall for a month, month. So let me do this year, this year, we, where everybody around the world will download this year and yet this year this evening can't stand. So I'm very pleased for all of my international listeners that tune into the broadcast live as well as those who download this onto your iPods and your tablets and your iPads, your computers, those that go back to blogtalkradio.com slash Gullah Geechee. Gullah is G-U-L-L-A-H. G-E-E-C-H-E-E, and tune into the program, especially those of you who are on social media that share this through Twitter, through Facebook. Thank you, thank you to all the Hunter Chillin. And we especially appreciate those of you who have embedded the blog in your blogs and so that people have an opportunity to listen to Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio everywhere. And on your behalf, that is why I decided to switch to this language again this week so that all of you can understand why we are celebrating once again Oman Month, Women's Her Story Month, here in the Gullah Geechee Nation and with people around the world. Not only because I'm Queen Quet, Chiefess and Head of State, for the Gullah Geechee Nation, I'm a woman and the first elected leader of Gullah Geechee people, that is a woman but because I think that it is critical to honor women because people do not come into the world on their own. They are birthed through women. And so we need to always honor the mother first. That is our tradition in the Gullah Geechee Nation, one that we need to hold to and stick to. As we always taught, honey, ain't going to get no more mama. You will only have one mother. Even if somebody else raises you, the person that birthed you, carried you in her womb, that is your mother, so you should have respect for her. So I think this month gives us an opportunity to pay some homage to and respect to women that have not always gotten their just due, have not been recognized in his storybooks. So it's an opportunity for us to tell her story. And so... The reason that this month exists dates back to 1976, basically. There was an opportunity where the first International Women's Day started in 1911 on March the 8th. So as women around the world started to pick up on this celebration, they started to host various activities, just like how Black History Month evolved from Negro History Week. Well, there was a group of people in 1978 in the school district of Sonoma, California, that participated in what had evolved since 1911 from the one day of just celebrating the International Women's Day into Women's History Week. So this event, of course, encompassed International Women's Day. Then in 1979, a 15-day conference about women's her story was held at Sarah Lawrence College, and they did that in July. They did that from July 13th to July 29th. And Gerda Lerner, who is a historian, she actually chaired that. 
and then they started to start up the Women's Action Alliance, and they did a number of other things that growth of this. Well, in 1980, and during Black History Month of 1980, President Jimmy Carter issued a presidential proclamation declaring the week of March 8, 1980, as National Women's History Week. So you're talking about something starting from an international day in 1911 to now becoming a national celebration in the U.S. for a week beginning in 1980. The proclamation stated that from the first settlers who came to our shores and from the first American Indian families who befriended them, men and women have worked together to build this nation. Too often the women were unsung and sometimes their contributions went unnoticed. But the achievements, leadership, courage, strength, and love of the women who built America was as vital as that of the men whose names we know as well, end quote. Now, interestingly enough, we still look back over these celebrations when they first started, especially in 1911, and recognize that the people who were participating in these celebrations were not women of African descent. So you still have a lot of women of African descent who aren't even aware that there is a month dedicated to women. So when I bring up that we're doing Women's Her Story Month, or as people call it Women's History Month, but I really think it should say Her Story Month, uh, people go, really? When is that? March, which is also Gullah Geechee Volunteer Month, and I had the pleasure of spending the entire day with Rollins College, who's here for the first time, with women and men in it, coming here to work on the story of the Gullah Geechee Nation, learn about the past, but help us in the present so that we sustain our culture in the future. So I wanted to go ahead this evening after having such a wonderful day, taking them around our island, teaching them about our story, that of the women and of the men who are here. I wanted to now take this journey with my listeners again this year into more about the Gullah Geechee Omande, all right, and definitely what has happened with our land, what is happening with our land here in the Gullah Geechee Nation. So that's why the title for this evening, Mama Dem and the Land, the Gullah Geechee Oman Stand, because many times when people discuss the history of America, of course the sea islands are excluded entirely even though this is a cornerstone to the building of what is now the United States of America. When they speak of people of African descent in the history of America, they're Negroes, they were slaves, these terminologies, not Gullah Geechee, not people of African descent, not enslaved Africans, those terms that I just stated are rarely heard, and they're usually heard by people who are historians, anthropologists, people who are more, quote, politically, and that have vision, that are thinking of what the future would hold if we don't begin to correct some of the misnomers and some of the disrespectful terminology that's been used for people in the past. And we must take the time to ensure that the full story, as I told the students today, is told. Although the story can be painful at times, we need to tell the entire story, not part of stories. And that is critical to our continued existence. And that is critical to talking about 
how things have been sustained here in the Gullah Geechee Nation as it relates to land. So, again, we have to go back and fetch it this evening. If Hone ain't know where Hone the deer from, Hone ain't quite know where the grind. So I want to deal with an aspect of American history that is not dealt with. And I think it's so apropos that it wasn't until after I posted the title for tonight's broadcast that I actually looked up the 2015 theme for National Women's History Month, okay, and as I call it, Women's Her Story Month. The theme is weaving the stories of women's lives. And what they have stated this year in regard to that theme is that accounts of the lives of individual women are critically important because they reveal exceptionally strong role models who share a more expansive vision of what a woman can do. The stories of women's lives and the choices they made encourage girls and young women to think larger and bolder and give boys and men a fuller understanding of the female experience. Knowing women's achievements challenges stereotypes and upends social assumptions about who women are and what women can accomplish today. There is a real power in hearing women's stories, both personally and in the larger context. Remembering and recounting Tales of our ancestors' talents, sacrifices, and commitments inspires today's generations and opens the way to the future. This I saw in the eyes of the students that I worked with today and will be working with for the next few days here as they are on our home island for the base office for the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition that sponsors this broadcast. If you want more details, you can always go to www.gullahgeechee.net. And they're here committed to be part of Gullah Geechee Volunteer Month to give back as they learn the stories all Gullah Geechees here. Now, interestingly enough, when we talk about the empowerment that comes from the telling of the stories, I have already presented before thousands, literally, of people on tours since 1990. So from 1990 to now is when I originated the Gullah Root Experience Tour, and I've been providing tours to groups ever since. So there are thousands, it's probably over 10,000 people that I have given tours to at this point in my journey that have always asked me my personal story, the story of growing up on St. Helena Island. What was that like? What is it like to be a little Gullah Geechee girl? What did you go through? What did you do? And what do you do now? How did you become queen? How did you become elected? How do you deal with this myriad of issues, including people excluding you from media, from books, with all that you've accomplished? And so it's very interesting to at least still be a living vessel and be able to talk and tell your own story and then see how that story resonates in the eyes and the minds and the hearts of people, to get letters and cards later from some young girl saying, I changed her life because she heard my story and it inspired her to go on and to do some other things that she thought she couldn't do. So... When I see these letters and these cards, these emails, even now people send me Facebook messages or tweets to tell me that they remember me coming to their schools when they were little children and now they're adults and this has inspired them to now want to help in their own communities. It's a blessing. 
because I can then look at my mother and I can think of my grandmothers, God bless the dead, and I can think of the stories that all of them told me of their mothers and grandmothers and what they did to hold on to our land here in the Gullah Geechee Nation on both sides of my family, father's side and mother's side, how it was the women in the family that were always the ones that made sure that the land was out there where it was productive land, that they pushed if they had to, the men in the family to ensure they farmed the land in a lot of cases, but especially made sure that the taxes were, the men worked on the farm and in the creek and had to go somewhere else to work, they made sure they managed the money and ensured that the land taxes were paid. And many of them were able to expand the land ownership in the family because these matriarchal figures were central to ensuring that that wealth was built in the family, even though they didn't realize that they were doing wealth building, asset building, estate planning, because they signed deeds that said, and their heirs. They were planning for future heirs. They were leaving estates to people, 10 acres, 20 acres, 30 acres, 40 acres. And to this day, many of the Gullah Geechee women in my family not only still own those lands, but they have bought other land themselves, or they and their husbands have bought additional pieces of land and added to the assets in the family. So land is a critical thing and has been a critical thing in that sense of wealth. The women have been a critical aspect of the wealth of America because of what was done during the transatlantic slave trade triangle. Many people are unaware of the fact that women were the ones initially that were brought in in mass, more so than men, because the enslavers looked at women as a vital asset because they witnessed how the women in West Africa in particular were the workers. They were the ones in the field. They were laboring with that. They were carrying children on their backs while also carrying other items. So they're looking at these women like they would have looked at thoroughbred horses, checking out their stamina, their ability, their uh, agility, their forward movement, and saying, those are who we want. And so it wasn't that they didn't see the men working, but they didn't see them working as intensely as they saw a lot of women, so they thought at first, we need them. But now, if you want to now keep reproducing, you have to have both. So where they kidnapped men, and in our case here, the Angolan men were the first ones usually kidnapped and brought in, and then later Ebos and all of these, which were the ones that they traded at high prices on the market, on the enslavement market and auction block because of their blacksmithing skills, their architectural skills, their agricultural skills, their warrior ability, and again looking at them as potential breeding sources with these women, the quote-unquote buck on the plantation, and so on. So they figured if we get strong stock, it reproduces strong stock. But here you had the women numbering the men during the transatlantic slave trade because, once again, as we well know, even those enslaving the women would often rape the women, and then they, the women would be impregnated as well, reproducing once again. So they were being looked at as assets for a number of reasons, their work ability, their work skill sets, and the fact that children birth 
the women birth the children, birth the babies. And they know women are going to try to stick close to their children and try to nurture their children. And so, therefore, that was another psychological aspect to enslavement because if I can show you that I have so much power over you that I can even take your babies from you, then I can threaten you into staying, quote, in your place, end quote. So when we start to talk about truly laying the foundation of America, although in his story he doesn't tend to deal with it, we need to start dealing with how women were a part of that. Now, it's interesting interesting because I decided to look up a few things online for tonight's broadcast instead of pulling directly from the Gullah Geechee Al-Kabulan archive, which is the only archive in the world totally dedicated to Gullah Geechee history, heritage, and culture. And I did this only because I knew that there were so many things that I'd end up needing to read that we need several broadcasts for me to read to you from the works that are in the archive that relate to our women and what took place here. I also wanted to see what I would find if I Googled about the enslavement of women here on these sea islands. Didn't find a lot when I put in that type of terminology. But what I did find in terms of female slavery in the United States, and this comes from Wikipedia, which is not always accurate, um, but I want to read some of this nonetheless from it and pray that it is accurate. And for any historians are listening out there who feel that there's more that needs to be added, please make sure to email me to G-U-L-L-C-O at AOL.com. Now, most people, when they think of chattel enslavement and they picture women, they picture you birthing babies, they picture you catching babies, they picture you cooking food, they picture somewhat of a mammy figure, you know, stirring a pot or things like that. And now and again, you picture the women in the field, where the women were always out there in the field, may have had to do all those jobs and be in the field, okay? People picture the women scrubbing clothes and all of that. Well, listen to what this says about female slavery in the United States and the southern colonies. No matter where they lived, slaves endured hard and demeaning lives, but labor in the southern colonies was most severe. The southern colonies were slave societies, socially, economically, and politically dependent on slave labor, had a large enslaved population, and allowed masters extensive power over their slaves unchecked by the law. Plantations were the economic power structure of the South, and male and female slave labor was its foundation. Early on, slaves in the South worked primarily in agriculture on farms and plantations growing indigo, rice, and tobacco. Cotton became a major crop after the 1790s. Female slaves worked in a wide variety of capacities. They were expected to do field work, as well as have children, and in this way, increase the slave population. In the years before the American Revolution, the female slave population grew mainly as a result of natural increase and not importation. Once slaveholders realized that the reproductive function of the female slave could yield a profit, the manipulation of procreative sexual relations became an integral part of the sexual exploitation of the female slaves. 
many slave women raised their children without much assistance from males. And slave women were counted on not only due to their house and field work, but also to bear, nourish, and rear the children whom slaveholders sought to continually replenish their labor force. As household slaves, women were domestic servants, cooking, sewing, acting as maids, and rearing the planter's children. Later on, they were used in many factories instrumental in the development of the United States, where they were kept at lower maintenance costs. End this quote. Now, interestingly enough, I'm reading this to you as I'm reading it for the first time. All of what I said prior to reading that was from what I know from our story here within the Sea Island. And whoever wrote this basically just simply reiterated all of what I was stating. Now, they go on to break this down into different categories. One of the categories dealing with the Revolutionary Era, and I want to back up to this point that was made in this statement about growing indigo, rice, and tobacco. Indigo, Carolina gold, rice, then later as they mentioned cotton, the Sea Island cotton in particular, are the three major cash crops of the Gullah Geechee Nation. And if you're very interested in learning more about the harvesting and the production of such crops, the way that they were done by Gullah Geechee's, please go to gullahgeechee.biz and order my book, From We Sold to the Soil, Cotton, Rice, and Indigo. All right, From We Sold to the Soil, Cotton, Rice, and Indigo. Now, it's been interesting because that book now is also, by the way, available on Amazon.com. If you put in Queen Quet, Queen Quet, Marquette, El Goodline, you'll see the various books that are there available for Kindle and for hard print. My brother just read that book yesterday, even though it's been out for many years now. And he's helped sell the books at the tables but never had the time to sit down and read it cover to cover. And he was floored when I went to see him about the level, because he does carpentry, the level of work that went into building the different things for the work on each of those. And he was saying to me how we need to build one just to see what it's like to build it. And so I'm looking forward to us taking on that project later on in the year to build some of the things that are in there. But as I read this with the indigo, rice, tobacco, cotton, all I could see were the Sea Islands and then North Carolina, inland North Carolina with tobacco away from the coastal North Carolina, all right? Indigo, rice, tobacco, cotton being very specifically mentioned here, I thought was critical. And pointing out that these first crops were the initial ones, and then cotton came in after the 1790s. Gullah Geechee's had been here since the 1670s. So you're talking about 100 years of growing these other things before cotton becomes a major, major industry. And that was one of the things my brother said. I noticed you put cotton at the end of the book. I said, right, because it was the latter industry. Now, here it is. My mother, her mother, the mother before that, worked in all of these, rice, cotton. Their family wasn't big on working in indigo simply because indigo was not as big of a crop on St. Helena Island as it was in some other counties up and down the Gullah Geechee Nation's coast and up and down the South Carolina coast. So it's interesting how 
I had that family legacy. And maybe that's why as soon as I saw that, unlike anything else that I just read, it resonated once again with my spirit, with my soul. So from we soul to the soil, truly go to gullahgeechee.biz. Obtain that book, and you can gain a whole new perspective on these cash crops and the labor that went into them. So can you imagine going through labor to birth your children to only place them in this type of horrific labor for life? Can you imagine that? So here it is when Daddy Mama them been a going through this year, Mama them been a going through this year, and they said, honey, children in for snow a hard time, though. I don't stand for truth. So it's interesting because when you think back, you look at today and you think, oh, well, things aren't so bad now. Well, it depends on where you stand in the world, whether it is or it isn't. And we think back over time, and at least as Gullah Geechis, we could say, fortunately, because of our ancestors who fought for freedom and fought to own land, we have a better stand that we are in. Now, some of us are not taking advantage of that, not growing your own food or anything like that, not still working outdoors. That's on you. That's not on anyone else. But they left you the property that is viable and that can be vital to sustaining your very health and sustaining your economic condition. So here it is that we think back. And let's go back again at 1790. 1790 is the the change when there's yet this other boom in new industry. But let's go before it. Before 1790, the American Revolution takes place from 1775 to 1783. And slave women actually served. They were part of the Loyalist Army where the British were fighting against the so-called colonists, the Americans, okay? They became nurses, laundresses, and cooks. This is the same role that, once again, many women, Gullah Geechee women, tend to play when they are caught up in the midst of the War 1812, caught up in the U.S. Civil War when Big Shooter started. This year is the commemoration of the ending of the U.S. Civil War. You all who listened to the show last week where I discussed the Book of Negroes and who had the opportunity after that, because that was the first night it was coming on, to watch all six parts of the Book of Negroes would very well realize that that film takes you on a journey through some critical times and a critical time of war when our ancestors became these loyalists. And you see the central character is a woman. So now here we go. It's discussed here again in Wikipedia that, as historian Carol Birkin writes, African-American loyalties were to their own future, not to Congress or to the king, end quote. So when you would say, well, why would they go off in the war? They were women because they were seeking freedom at all times. And when these people said to them, well, you fight on our side, and we will get you land. We will give you land in a place called Nova Scotia, where I have a whole history in Nova Scotia of my own. We will give you land even all the way back in the motherland, back to Al-Kabula. Women went, they were repatriated. They set up shop 
in new places, to thrive and to survive. And so here it is that many of the women who did go, they ended up being able to work in shops, they worked in people's homes, they worked in fields, they worked in plantations, they got to work all over the place. Now, when we're talking about this time frame and then moving forward in time, let's just look at a little bit of the numbers behind it. I'm a mathematician, as most of you know. South Carolina had over 75 people enslaved during this time frame of the American Revolution. So within 100 years, roughly, they had just under 100,000 that they accounted for. And why do I say that they accounted for? Because many times with these numbers that we're looking at when you look at enslavement records, they reflect the numbers people could find on the remaining slave ship rosters and logs, not the people that were imported without being counted because, of course, people were being taxed by the head of how many people they were bringing in. This were not the numbers of people that were, quote, domestic born domestic slaves, meaning they were born in North America many times, we don't have the accurate count because you're talking about going through individual records from each and every plantation that there was. There weren't computers then, let me just let you know in case you wasn't sure. Okay, so that would not have been an easy job, and even now as historians try to capture the numbers, and some don't want to believe it was millions, and there were millions, I am sure, that were kidnapped, but not all of them made it across and through the Middle Passage. But the number of people dispersed out of the motherland and across the Americas had to have reached the millions, and I appreciate the last poet's and Abi Odun, in particular, a friend of mine, for the song, For the Millions. And many of you have seen me dance over the years, have seen me dance to the song, For the Millions. And so here it is that when these wars broke out, many of the Gullah Geechee women that were enslaved here in South Carolina, the women of African descent, enslaved in the Carolinas, left broke out, broke north, as some of my people would say, and became loyalists, and they moved on. 3,000 people were listed as black loyalists in Nova Scotia back during that time. And then later, there were many of the women who were part of the establishment of Freetown in Sierra Leone. And, of course, when we deal with Liberia at another point in time, there were many women who were part of the establishment of that. And again, why go back? Because you'll have land, land that you can work the way your ancestors did, the way mama them didn't do anything like that. And so here it is that as we discuss this role of women, there's always this reconnection to land, whether it's them being exploited on the land or them helping to exploit the land in the sense of helping to plant it and harvest it and gain from it, or this consistent pattern of wealth generation by the sale of these women and the sale of what they harvest, and then the sale of even the children these women birth, 
and the sale of what those children do, whether those children become blacksmiths and architects or these, they make cast nets, they make boats, whatever their skill sets are. These things are coming out of the womb of these women into their children, into the minds of their children as they raise their children, and then they're being used and exploited to build someone else's wealth that people are living from today. And you tell me you don't know there's a Women's Her Story Month? Women's Her Story Month should be every day. Women need to be honored for all they've gone through and what some are still going through and enduring and standing and being able to yet fight for their communities, powering, to know their story, their ability, their strength to live through that. Now, you notice I keep mentioning the Carolinas, and that is because when Georgia was settled around the 1750s and they started to bring people in, initially they brought in females from South Carolina into Georgia, and then later they started to do things to import directly from Africa. But at first it was a ban on that direct importation when Georgia went from being more or less a buffer zone between La Florida and British Carolina, as they had renamed Chicora, all right, a Chicora. There became this influx first again with women. Now, the largest concentration of enslaved people then in Georgia around between 1750 and 1790s became, and it went rapidly. It went from 1,000 people to 30,000 people in that 40-year span of time that were primarily along the Altama and the Savannah Rivers, okay? And that is today where we have Chatham and Liberty County. Liberty County is still the largest per capita black-owned property county in the state of Georgia and is within the boundaries of the Gullah Geechee Nation. The Sea Islands are still a place where women largely own land, black women own land. Now, it's interesting that the trustees of Georgia initially made a decree where they were focused on the men, and we're not even going to get into all these gender dynamics and from that, from the past that still bleed into today. But there was a trustee decree that for every four black men, there must be at least one black female. But they never could control that. They could never control the proportions of the increasing number of people being born. You can't decide, or I know some would say, well, hey, nowadays these doctors are offering you everything, but you can't really decide how many boy to girl churn going to be born and much less which one going to survive. Because just because people were having the children, you could have had a lot of male children and then they didn't survive at birth. So the trustees proceeded on anyway, still trying to exert power over nature, over humans, the trustees issued special instructions regarding the labor of the females. In August of 1750, they sought to establish 
silk production as a profit-making industry in Georgia as a new county. And so they put this stipulation out that, quote, female Negroes are blacks be well instructed in the art of winding or reeling of silk from the silk bowls or cocoons, end quote. They also ordered that the women enslaved, remember I said the majority of these people are along the Savannah River and the Altamira River. Well, there's also the city of Savannah in Chatham County. They ordered that all planters send the female enslaved people, the Gullah Geechee women, the African women, send them to Savannah for the training in silk making. Now, here it is. Carolina is focused on this indigo and this cotton, right? Not yet the cotton, but cotton's coming on in slowly. But the indigo, and here we are training African women in silk making. All right? Now, of course, why would you want them to do this? Why do you think they could do it? Because their ancestors could do it. Mama them been to do this shit. They been to die cloth and all kind of thing like that. They back a yona. When them people been a teeth and they see them batik and thing like that. All those colors, the array of colors that still exist in the motherland. This was traditional. When we talk about Egyptian cotton, that's comedic cotton from Kemet, Africa. The motherland. This tradition had been ongoing amongst African women to be able to create textiles from various things and to then dye and to make designs on these textiles and then to adorn yourself. All right? So here it is that we have this continued process of passing on additional skills or passing back and forth these skills because the women already would have had, even in their collective consciousness, an ability to do this type of work in textile. But once again, planters in Georgia started also having different people, different Gullah Geechee women, women of African descent, working, again, not only the land, but as washerwomen, nurses, okay, meaning that the plantation owner's wife may have gotten pregnant around the same time as the African woman, and then they have her breastfeed the white lady's baby, put it like that, okay? So the African woman doing that for a baby that's not her own, being a wet nurse or being a wet nurse for other women that were just being worked so hard in the field they couldn't even get out to nurse their children. Then also the cooks, hairdressers, midwives, as I said, catching the baby and things like that, servants to children, letting the plantation owner's children order grown women around, house wenches, which meant anything from bed warmers, sex partners, cleaning the house, whatever you were told to do as well as working in silk, rice, indigo. And then later when the cotton gin was patented in 1793, which again was an invention in Georgia and at Port Wentworth, but was invented by a Gullah Geechee man, okay, and then got taken and then the patent, we ain't going to call the name of who ended up owning the patent, but the patent was done in 1793 
And so at that time now they needed more and more of these women, more and more people, more and more enslaved people, bond people, to be pushed into the fields to work this cotton. This is the new gold rush. This Sea Island cotton is the money maker. So as they placed ads in the paper, that's why we know what these roles of the women are to this day. Now, this was a class I'd pause now and ask you, why do you think there were ads in the paper in Georgia that we could yet still find? Those ads were there because many of who they called the Negro wench ran away. And when they ran away from the plantations, they had to advertise what skill sets these women had as well as oftentimes their descriptions to try to get them back. So once again, they never just took low. They never just gave in to enslavement. They never just gave over who they were. They still continue to fight to hold on to the very heart and soul of who they are up to the moment. And so here we are, generations later, after these women of strength fought, some bled, some died. Uprisings happened. There are images you can find from time to time from Harper's Weekly and other places of enslaved women who were hung because they were part of uprisings, who fought back, who wanted to run from plantations because they were heading to some other plantation to find their children. Again, you saw something similar in the book of Negroes. They were trying to find where their children were to hopefully reunite with them, at least embrace them again. And so here comes this time of year that I believe we need to embrace our elder women of the community. We need to embrace our leader women of the community. We need to embrace the mothers who have taken care of their children, not abandoned them, not left them like cats leave kittens and go somewhere else to have these children fending for themselves, but that have stood up, that have sacrificed to ensure that their children would thrive and survive the same way Mama them been to do. Back yonder, who be the Gullah And that's why when I say my grandmothers on both sides who had a plethora of children and some lived and some didn't, some had stillbirths and other things, these women taught their living children that remained that their greatest asset was to have land, that same land in which blood, sweat, tears, and many times placenta still remained within it because they had to bury this placenta after the births in many cases, and some had to bury their babies along with it because they came out stillborn. They wanted their future generation, their children's children's children, to have a place on which they could stand up for freedom, stand up for their rights, and celebrate who they are and have land that they owned. So to this day, the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition works along with many other groups that are fighting for land. We have a number of workshops that are going to go on this month for Gullah Geechee's to register for in regard to land and legacy, and in particular, 
Heirs Property. These workshops will take place here on St. Helena Island. The first one is going to be at 6 o'clock at the St. Helena Branch Library on March 11th, 6 p.m. in the evening, March 11th. The next one is going to be 6 p.m. in the evening on March 25th. Those are both Wednesday evenings, Wednesday nights, and we definitely want you to come out with all your family. Learn more about what we are talking about in terms of this being an asset to your family, an asset that your family, mama them, big daddy mama them, been a fight for, for hold on to for Hunter children and how you can still hold on it now, how you need to be part of taking a stand for the land. And although this is Women's Her Story Month, the workshops are not exclusive. Men and women, Gullah Geechee men and women, you are invited to come out, bring your families, bring notebooks and pen and paper, be ready, bring your iPads, bring your computers, be ready to take notes and type down and learn how to protect this family asset to this day. We are also going to continue our film series, our Sea Island Scenes film series as part of the Gullah Geechee Living History series at the St. Helena Library with the showing of The Will to Survive, the story of the Gullah Geechee Nation, which delves into the land takings as well as how we got land, and in particular on St. Helena Island and Sopolo Island, Georgia, The Will to Survive, the story of the Gullah Geechee Nation. We are going to show that film at 1 p.m. on Saturday the 28th of March at the St. Helena Branch Library in the community room. The weekend before, on March 21st at noon, I'm going to be at the St. Helena Branch Library for the second Gullah Geechee Porch Talk. We had the first Gullah Geechee Porch Talk last month at the brand-new True You Hero Books in North Charleston, South Carolina. We had standing room only, and the audience was both Gullah Geechee and non-Gullah Geechee that attended, male and female, grown folks in little churn. I want the porch of the St. Helena Branch Library to be overrun, even more so than True You Hero Books was. So please plan for these dates. If you want to in a Gullah Geechee, make sure you're there for these Air Property Workshops. They are free, March 11th and March 25th this month. And then plan for March 21st for the Gullah Geechee Porch Talk at noon, and then for 1 p.m. on March 20th for the showing of The Will to Survive, the story of the Gullah Geechee Nation. After the film, there will also be a discussion. These are part of our land and legacy, not only my world tour, but our series to help people understand all that we've done to take a stand for land. And the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition is sponsoring all of these, and we thank the Clifford Bush the Third Law Firm for being a co-sponsor for the event on March the 25th as well. And so we want you to come out. March the 14th, the Coastal Cultures Conference is still going to be held at the Hunting Island Nature Center. We will begin at 11 a.m. that morning with registrations on site and people checking in who have already registered. But we have limited space. We have maybe 10 spaces left. 
So if you are intending to come to the Coastal Cultures Conference, you do need to do that pre-registration online. It's there on Facebook. You can find the Coastal Cultures Conference on Eventbrite. You can also go to GullahGeecheeNation.com. G-U-L-L-A-H is Gullah. Geechee is G-E-E-C-H-E-E, no I in it. GullahGeecheeNation.com is our blog. Make sure to follow there because all of these events that I'm mentioning will all be posted. Some are already posted. More will be coming up as these weeks go forward as reminders of these activities that are going on. So we want to chill but make sure you join with your in the Gullah Geechee Nation. Not just this year month, which is the Gullah Geechee Volunteer Month, and we thank you. If you still want to join us, you can. Our email is G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at AOL.com. G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at AOL.com. You say, well, I can't get there for March, but I have a civic group. I have a family group, I have a youth group, I have a church group, I have my fraternity, my sorority that wants to come help in the Gullah Geechee Nation and join in the Stand for Land and helping with the environmental issues here as well as keeping the culture and traditions alive. Still email us to G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at AOL.com. We work with groups all year long. It's just that annually that is when we have a number of transformational learning and alternative spring break groups that are here. And so next week we have some more groups that's coming in, and we're so glad that Rollins College done did you anything like that, and it'll work hard. And we definitely want to give a shout-out to Brother Walter White, who is a member of the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition, who also drove down from Virginia to also help out with Gullah Geechee Volunteer Month. So in all of this, this work, is for us to continue to take a stand for land and to honor these women that we've been sharing about tonight for all that they lived through but still thought of us, who is their future heirs to the property on even that which they had been enslaved and where they birthed children and things like that. So I'm going to open up the phone lines in case we have any listeners out there tonight, and I want to thank the guests that came into the chat room tonight. The call-in number is 347 347- Three two four three nine zero three three four seven three two four three nine zero three. All throughout this month, there are a number of different activities that are going to be going on here in the Gullah Geechee Nation. So make sure that you tune in next Monday evening at seven when I go over a whole list. Y'all say, well, didn't you go over a list just now? Yeah, I went over a list of the activities we're having specifically here on St. Helena Island this month, but we also have a number of others. And if you go to GullahGeecheeNation.com and you see the last blog that went up on yesterday, you will see this uh, article about beautiful Buford by the sea and the Gullah Geechee. And you'll see that there are a number of events still going on here that you may want to catch if you are coming down this month and coming through that there's some activities and things happening that you would want to see. And so next Monday, we're going to not only talk about those, but also a few events that are going on in Charleston this month that are all connected to the Gullah Geechee Nation and connected to the continued economic empowerment of our community such that our people will be able to not only continue to take a stand, but continue to own and maintain their land. And so this is a critical aspect to our story, and we have to continue to grow 
and to stand together united. And I think that is the way to truly be living examples of the respect that we have for Mama Dem. Y'all stand? Especially if Hona the Gullah Geechee. Respect Mama Dem and respect the land. Even Mother Art require we for take a stand. So Hona Chillin, I'm so glad that the Queen quit head from the body of the Gullah Geechee Nation and that I had this your time again for just share a little bit a wee story down your Panesia Island in the sea. And if one ever won't reach me, go to queenquet.com. That's Q-U-E-E-N-Q-U-E-T dot C-O-M, queenquet.com. The Gullah Geechee Land and Legacy World Tour still going on. We got plenty of stuff going on right here in the Gullah Geechee Nation this year month, and then we're going to be back up and out on the road can starting in April after Gullah Geechee Volunteer Month do the thing. Like my mom always say, charity begin at home and then go abroad. So I had to spend some time at home bringing the charity yeah. And for them chilling, what won't yet me to crack my teeth, but all of this yeah, and how to collaborate with we, join me on Friday, March 27th at noon at the Strom Thurmond Building of the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston. It's on Dowdy Street. I will be speaking from noon to 2 that day. From noon to 2, come on out and bring the family, and we'll be talking some more about that again next Monday. So in the meantime, Hunachilla, grind out your honor and read a little bit more about your ancestors, yet more about the Omanente, even yet about the elders in the community. Grind around and do some oral history, oral her story, and yet what he done do for Hunagetcha and for he know you. And you might be surprised what story they write there well, honey, ain't going to see if you don't sit down and ask she her story. Peace and blessings. And to all the Oman out there, happy Oman month. Happy Women's Her Story Month. This year the Queen Quit, head from the body of the Gullah Geechee Nation. Thank you, thank you for tuning in to Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio Station. Thank you.